Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Dorenda Wilson Podcast. I'm Dorenda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to nine, and 26-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, and The Four-Hour School Day, How You and Your Kids Can Thrive in the Homeschool Life. You can find both of those books on Amazon.com. You can also find them at DorendaWilson.com, and The Four-Hour School Day can actually be found at pretty much any of your favorite booksellers in addition to the two places that I mentioned. I am so excited that you're here today. We're going to be talking about family and what God has to say about family. But before I dive into that topic, I want to make sure that you know about a recent platform that I started where I am mentoring moms. So listen in for more details. As moms, I'm sure you've felt the desire and the pressure to do everything all at once, and I'm no exception to that. I've had to take some of my own advice and slow down so I can really figure out how to best serve you. I want to offer you a place where you can not only find a tribe of like-minded moms wanting to grow in their faith, parenting, and homeschooling, but also where you can receive exclusive content and encouragement from me and other moms that you won't be able to get anywhere else. This community is where I want to direct my primary attention so that I can be fully engaged, more responsive, and more personal when I interact with you all. I'm especially excited about the exclusive content you'll have access to. Not only will there be videos and live events from me, but my family will also be sharing some of their hearts as well. We'll have a range of topics such as loving the littles, quiet time with Nana, living counterculturally, homeschooling, the man cave, character growth and discipline, boys to men, and several more. If you've ever wanted more than a podcast, check out the link in the description to learn more about the Simply Unhurried community created for moms just like you. So today I want to talk about family and what does God actually have to say about family? The question I actually want to start with is who is informing our thinking on the topic of family. I think it's wise to step back and ask ourselves that question. Are we allowing the culture to inform us as to the importance of family and what God has actually put in front of us in terms of raising our families? The place that I want to start is by talking about doctrine. Now, before I talk about that a little bit more and why it's important. I think I should probably define it. Most of you know, if you've been following me for a while, I like to make sure that we are thinking of the same thing when we're using a word. And so the word doctrine is translated as instruction, especially as it applies to lifestyle application. In other words, doctrine is teaching imparted by an authoritative source. Now, we can be living out worldly doctrines and not even know that we're doing it. We have let someone else inform our thinking about a topic and really help create a doctrine that we believe and don't even realize we're believing it, but we're actually living that out and we're not realizing what the source is. 
But as believers, that authoritative source needs to be the Word of God. If we call ourselves believers, we must stand without question on the authority of God's Word. Biblical doctrine helps us understand the will of God for our lives. Isn't that what we all want? We want to know what is it that God wants us to do? How does He want us to live? Because we know that He's our creator. He designed us. And so He knows the best way for us to live our lives for our own good and for His glory. So biblical doctrine helps us to do that. Now, I've heard people say that doctrine isn't important, and I could not disagree more with that. But I think one of the reasons that they might be saying it is because they've seen a lot of arguments, a lot of tearing down, a lot of division, and a lot of unhealthy and unbiblical debates surrounding doctrine. I think it's important in our culture to understand that God's word says that iron sharpens iron. I think many of us are shying away from any conflictive conversations or confrontative conversations. First of all, because maybe we're not actually really sure of our stance and where we stand biblically on something. So we haven't really been taught to make a defense for the things make a biblical defense for the things that we believe. And that's something that we can work on as adults. We don't have to go back to school for that. Uh, We can, but at the end of the day, we want to be able to defend our faith. We want to be able to defend the principles that we're standing on. But what we have seen so much of on social media and, and just all over the place is just an unhealthy uh, version of debate. And, So I think it's important for us to make sure that we are not shying away from that because we're gun shy after seeing all we've seen and probably experiencing a lot of what we've experienced. There's been a lot of just nastiness out there. And uh, I just want to encourage you that not to shy away from really trying to reach a better understanding of why someone believes what they believe and why you believe what you believe. And so um, that's why we're diving into this particular topic today. But one of the reasons that doctrine is so important is that it is the worldview by which we govern our lives. If our doctrine is based soundly upon scripture, we can know that we're walking in the path that God designed for us because that is the best path. That's the path we want to be on, but we can't walk in it if our doctrine isn't based soundly upon scripture. If we don't study the word of God for ourselves, we are led more easily into error. And uh, just a little side note, in an upcoming podcast, I'm going to have... uh, Pastor Wes back on with us. He's been on the podcast with me before talking about the importance of uh, biblical family. He's talked about the importance of a biblical education. This time we're going to be talking about recognizing false teachers. I've had quite a few moms talk to me about this, reach out to me about this. How do I recognize false teachers? And I thought, you know what? I think it would be best to bring someone on who can really, really bring us through um, the biblical process of understanding how to recognize false teachers. I also love it when our husbands can listen in, and I feel like that's more doable when there's a guy speaking. Um, So anyway, also, 
So back to what I was saying before, if we don't study the word of God for ourselves, we can be more led more easily into error. And because we have hearts that don't submit easily to God's laws, right? I, I know mine, <laughs> mine doesn't. We often pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we're comfortable with and we discard the rest. The other thing that we sometimes do is replace what God says with a man-made doctrine or tradition. And many believers are living out the doctrines of man based on what man says instead of what God says. And that would be a man-made doctrine or tradition. And, And none of this is anything new. Ecclesiastes says there is nothing new under the sun. Everything we're experiencing is not anything that no that other people have not experienced and that is actually that actually brings me a lot of comfort. But Jesus even back in the day rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees for quote teaching as doctrines the commandments of men unquote. It's very easy to get those confused if we don't know the word of God and we don't know why we believe what we believe. Um, Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We're to be careful about what we believe and present as truth. Now, that means not just in our words, but how we live our lives. Have you ever realized, have you ever noticed that sometimes there's a disconnect? Believers say they believe one thing, but what you see in their lives is something different, which means they don't actually believe those things. We live our doctrine out our fingertips. We live our doctrine in our everyday lives. And so we have to be really careful that we are um, about what we believe and present as the truth. And like I said, not just in our words, but in our in our actions and in our lives. First Timothy 4.16 says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both you and your hearers, okay? So I think one of the other reasons that some people avoid doctrine, I, I think I just wanna go back to this really quickly, and they say that it's not important is because they feel overwhelmed. Like you have to be a theologian, you have to be, um, well, we're all theologians and we all have doctrine, we just don't always realize it um, because we believe certain things about God and we believe certain things about life, but we don't always stop and ask ourselves, where did that information come from? Where did that belief come from? But we sometimes feel intimidated because I, I think it's like it's like what's gone on in our culture. You can't, you know, lies, like you can't possibly know what's going on with your own body. You can only trust a doctor to do that. And doctors can be very helpful, but I believe that God can give us wisdom and clarity of heart and mind um, when it comes to making medical decisions. We're not to just do that without thinking and without praying and without asking the Lord for wisdom. God gives us wisdom. He promises that to us as his people. And so I think we've seen this in the educational field where we we think, oh my gosh, I'm not qualified to teach my child. It, we need to leave this to the professionals. Uh, my goodness, that is just really instilled in us, in our culture. And so we need to step back. And yes, we love the, the value that people who have studied those things um, hold. And we respect those teachers who have gone to seminary and taught, or gone to seminary and learned, and now they're teaching. That That's very valuable. 
But to have sound doctrine, we don't need to have a degree. We just need to be faithful students of God's word and we need to sit under good teaching and we need to be able to discern false teachers so that we know what's true and what isn't. Sound doctrine is important because the gospel is a sacred trust. It has been entrusted to us and we do not ever want to tamper with God's communication to the world. We don't want to reflect something that isn't accurate about who God is. Our duty is to deliver the message, which is God's message, not ours. And we are to deliver this message and not to change it. Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19 talk about not adding to or taking away from the words of scripture. We do not alter it or replace it. And unfortunately, that's what's been happening in the church. Doctrine is important because we live our doctrine out of our fingertips, how we live our lives every day. So many of our struggles, our daily struggles, are rooted in worldly and unbiblical philosophies. I want to share with you one of those philosophies. It's called existentialism, and I'm just going to give you a brief little description of what it is. It's, it's, it goes something like this. You're free to be anything if only you can make yourself that through action. Um, in fact, the idea is that you don't mean anything objectively. You exist as a person before you mean anything. Existence comes before you have any essence, which is the value of life at all. So he said, this, this belief is that essence is something that can only happen through your own action. And this is why we see a lot of self-help philosophies that have seeped into the church. Um, so this, this philosophy teaches that you're free to be anything if only you can could make yourself that through action. Um, it believes you are what you make yourself, that your story is yours to write. And what you are can only exist through your action. Um, believes that what man needs to is to find himself again and to understand that nothing can save him from himself, not even a valid proof of the existence of God, which is absolutely rejecting God as father. But the interesting thing is that it has pervaded our culture and you see it more like this, this kind of mentality and thinking. You can be whatever you want to be. If you set your mind to it, you can be it. You are the only one who can decide what you are. This is the philosophy of Disney movies, spoon-fed to our children from toddlerhood. We love the idea that we're made with the power of our own will. Things like you are a powerful woman if you want to be a powerful woman. Decide what you want to be and you are on your way to being it. Believe that you're beautiful and you will be beautiful. But all of these find their origin, uh, origins in this particular godless philosophy of existentialism. And we do not want to buy into that kind of thinking. And so um, that, th that quote actually came from a book called You Who. It's Why You Matter and How to Deal With It. And I will, uh, I will leave a link for that in the podcast notes. I'm really enjoying this book. But I want to give you an example of, of how many of our daily, our, an example of how our daily struggles are rooted in worldly and unbiblical philosophies, okay? It's a personal example. I found myself 
I was finding myself anxious and I was kind of stopping and saying, okay, why do I feel anxious? Um, it was because I couldn't accomplish enough fast enough. And when I slowed down and recognized what that thinking really was and what that, what that was rooted in, like what doctrine, what was I believing? What was actually happening when I was feeling anxious about the fact that I couldn't accomplish enough fast enough? It came down to greediness. I wanted more than what God had for me in that moment. I was doing my best, but I was clearly not going to get any more done than what was happening in the moment. And it it just couldn't happen fast enough. And I realized, wait a minute, Dorinda, you're wanting more than God has for you right now. And that is greediness. Be thankful for what you actually are able to accomplish right now because you are able to accomplish that because God has allowed you to accomplish it. He has given you the strength and the grace and the ability to be able to do those things. And we can find ourselves anxious for lots of reasons. Sometimes it's covetousness. We're wanting what we don't have. And there was a little bit of that involved in my situation there too. I wanted more than what was being given to me. I wanted this over here that I didn't have. I was wanting something that I didn't have. Sometimes we find ourselves anxious because we're envy, envious, right? That that happens all over social media all the time, wanting what someone else ha- has. We have got to guard our hearts from false doctrines. Now, when I recognized this for what it really was, And I could say, Lord, I'm sorry, I am being greedy. I'm not being thankful for what you are actually giving me because what you're giving me is a gift and it is perfect because you do all things well. When I could stop and do that, repent of that, and recognize what was happening, I was set free from its grip and anxiety lifted. John 8.32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. The world and the culture, and sadly, much of the church has replaced religion with deceptive philosophies and false doctrine. The culture has influenced the church to such a degree that most of our families do not look much different from the world. The divorce rate is the same. Most of the children who are raised in church are walking away from the faith. This is the fruit of God's people not clinging to the truths of Scripture and planting their feet firmly on solid biblical doctrine. God is the one who created and designed the family. His design is perfect. His plans for family are good, but we have to be willing to have our minds renewed. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And isn't that what we want for our lives and for the lives of our family? So today we're gonna look at Psalm 127 and 128 to help us see more clearly what God has to say about building a household and raising children. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast that I mentioned earlier on the biblical importance of family. I'll link that in the show notes as well. So let's start in uh, verses one and two of Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late 
toiling for food, for he grants sleep to those he loves. So this psalm is actually a prayer of wisdom, and it's expressing the belief that human effort is useless apart from God. And this aligns with the theme of Ecclesiastes, whose message is that everything is a vapor without God. It's meaningless without Him. The term building a house has several meanings in this passage, but one of those is to build a family. So if we're building a house, building a family, defending a city or earning a living, it's all useless without him. Why? Because God promised through Abraham that his chosen people would become a great and numerous nation. He would multiply them through having children. The Lord had said to Abram, and this is, this is the Abrahamic covenant from the Old Testament, and this ties into the New Testament as well, and I'll get there in just a minute. So the Old Testament Abrahamic covenant is this. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So that doesn't just mean the Israelites of the Old Testament. As believers, we have been grafted in and that Abrahamic covenant is ours as well. So listen in to Acts 2 verses 38 and 39. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We are not only his covenant people, we are covenant families. His promises to us are to us and our children, and that actually means children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He will multiply his people through his people, not just through evangelism, which is very, very important, but through having children and raising them to love and serve God. My husband and I did a podcast a few years back called Children Are a Blessing, and I will put that link in the show notes. So our covenant families, yours and mine, are a reflection of God and His character, of His goodness, His sovereignty, His faithfulness, His salvation, His redemption. Our covenant families are a witness to the world of the saving power of the gospel as they see us living out God's principles and living out the gospel within our families. Okay, let's go to verse three. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. I'm sorry, but this is not what the world is telling us. This isn't even what most of the church is telling us, but this is what God says. 
He says children are a heritage from the Lord and that they are a reward from the Lord. I'd love to do another podcast on motherhood and and just how children are a blessing and, and what that actually means and what it doesn't mean. But if God says that children are a reward, then that is what they are. If he says they're a gift, then they are a gift. And when we choose to stand on that doctrine and say, no, I believe children are a blessing, it is gonna change our perspective on how we view our children. Children being a blessing doesn't mean that everything is fun and games and our children just do nothing but add to us and, and do nothing but make us look good. That is not what that is about. What I have found is that they are an investment. And when I looked at them as a blessing, even when it was difficult, when when raising them and training them and disciplining them took work and sweat and tears and prayer, I continued to do it. My husband and I continued to do it because we believed God says children are a blessing. And we knew that God would bless through our obedience to Him. And we have seen that fruit We've seen that fruit, and I can tell you it is so, so worth it, but it is hard work. It is also what happens is it's part of our sanctification. God sanctifies us, makes us more like Him through motherhood, through parenting, through having a family. It is amazing the deep and broad work that He does in our hearts and in our sanctification through family. It goes on to say, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. I can tell you that our children, our grown children, are our greatest defense. They love us. They will come to our defense anytime, day or night. And I love that. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. The other thing we see in this passage is the multi-generational perspective that God wants us to have. This continues in Psalm 128. I'll start reading that Psalm right now. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. In other words, those who obey God's will for their lives as manifested in his word. And again, this is why we need to know God's word and be planted firmly in solid biblical doctrine. It goes on in verse two to say, you will eat the fruit of your labor, which is a blessing to be able to do. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, This will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Again, you can hear the multi-generational perspective here. So long life and large families were a blessing in ancient ancient Israel, especially in light of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, let me stop right here and say this. I never, ever put a burden on anybody to say, you must have a large family. My challenge to you is to yield that area of your life to the Lord. As believers, we are to pray about and yield our finances to Him, our families to Him, everything to him, our marriages to him, 
everything in our lives should be yielded to Him. But I find it interesting that a lot of Christians don't take the time to stop and pray and ask the Lord what He has in terms of their family size. Just a challenging thought to ponder in in light of what we're reading today and as you hopefully dig into God's Word more on that topic. Because God says children are a blessing. He's called us to have them, to recognize them as a blessing. And I mentioned before what that, what that means and what that does not mean, right? It, it means that he says they're a blessing even when it's hard. He says they're a blessing even when we are toiling and laboring over the raising of our children. But what it doesn't mean is that they're just there to add to our essence. They're not there to help us, you know, become... Um, They're there to help us become more like Christ, which is a sanctifying process, a messy process, not to just make us look good. You know, you look at the world and so much of the culture and even the church, they look at children as acquisitions. Okay, you've got the car. Okay, now you bought the house. Okay, the next thing on the checklist is have children. That is not a reason to have children. They're not just another thing to acquire. God values children. He values their lives. He has a purpose and plan for them, and he has a very, very strong purpose and plan for families. And I know that for our family, wherever we have lived, and I mentioned before that we lived in Washington State for many years, and then five years ago moved to North Carolina, but wherever we have lived, we have planted our flag of faith by working to build our family on biblical principles and not on the hollow philosophies of this world. Did we do this perfectly? Absolutely not. Our family is not perfect, but God's grace flows through it and onto those around us and in our community because God has blessed our obedience just like He said He would because He will always keep His covenant with us. The fruit of of our families serving God is an influence in our community and beyond as we faithfully do what God has put in front of us, no more and no less. What he's put in front of us so often is not glamorous. It's not something that the world looks at and says, oh, what a beautiful thing. No, no, it downplays it. It it mocks, the world mocks that. But God honors it. And we li- I've mentioned this before. We don't live in the world's economy. We live in God's economy. We need to get our doctrine straight when it comes to family and children and walk it out faithfully. I want to encourage you by just testifying to the mighty faithfulness of God in the raising of a godly family. It is no small matter because God says it is no small matter. We don't do this to bring glory to ourselves, but to reflect the glory of God and to advance His kingdom. And as we multiply, (laughs) we advance the kingdom. This is why I do what I do, moms. I, I, I feel so passionate about speaking into your lives, each and every one of you, to live out your life based on godly principles, to live your family life based on what God has called you to do and raise your children in the nurture and admonition. Because I know, I know that in 10 years, in 15 years, those children are gonna go out and multiply the work of the kingdom of God. And that's why I'm passionate about it. So when moms send me emails and they send me pictures of their kids, it just, it just absolutely makes me so incredibly 
thankful and so incredibly hopeful for the future of our nation and the future of this world and the future of the church. So back to the original question, who's informing your doctrine on family and children? Is the word of God informing you? If not, I wanna challenge you to go back to God's word and his word alone and let that be what informs you. Sit under solid biblical teaching that aligns with what God has to say about family and how it should function. I'm actually gonna share some resources in the show notes. But I wanna encourage you, be immovable and unshakable in these doctrines and principles and watch God do great and mighty things through your family. I wanna leave you with a verse. Let us not grow weary in doing good for in due time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time today. Thank you for the vast number of scriptures that clearly speak to the importance of family. God, I ask that for every family listening, that you would be the one that informs their thinking about family life, about their marriage, how they're raising their children, how they're disciplining and training them. God, may we be students of your word, students of um, how to be godly parents. Lord, that is an ongoing thing. But thank you that your grace and mercy covers over those things we don't know yet. But Lord, may we be found faithful to um, study your word, to, um, to basically just be students of your word and be willing to learn along the way as we sit under good teaching as, and as we study your word. And, we, and Lord, help us to be willing to submit our hearts to that teaching and to walk it out in our everyday life, even when it's hard. God, I thank you for these families who are striving to please you and striving to raise a godly generation. May you just pour out a huge blessing on them. Would you protect them from the enemy? And would you fill their homes with your peace and with your presence? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.